Today has been a good day so far in the house of God, and um, I appreciate what Brother Vid said, and I like when people says, if I'm wrong, correct me. One of these days I'll do that. I'll start correcting people when they're wrong. But um, Brother Vid, uh, his heart is in this church, and he's been a part of this assembly for many, many years. When I look ahead in this journey that we are traveling on, my years ahead are fewer than the years I've completed. And that's a lot. When you turn 65, and then you go 70, and then you go 75, that's when people start to die. It's a reality of life. It's a fact that we cannot hide from. And that is why I feel like the church is a wonderful place. And uh, <clears throat> the messages that we have had recently, uh, they are enlightening to me. Uh, Bervid and I, we had this conversation, and um, he was asking me about uh, the importance of the church and some of these things, and I think I asked him a question. I said, when Paul went to the church at Rome, now we have a Bible, and it's beautiful, nice letter-bound Oxford Press, um, uh, calfskin leather on the outside, and that's good. I said, I have a Bible, six to six pieces of documents in this one binding. Well, the early church didn't have a Bible. As a matter of fact, there are things that the early church never had that we have, and there are things that the early church had that we don't have. See, we have a Bible, we have books, we have volumes of commentaries and encyclopedias re regarding our religion. We have seminaries and Bible schools, you know, that you can go to and get uh, brainwashed, I mean, educated, uh, brainwashed, same thing. Um, you go to a Bible seminary, you only learn what the guys the previous year learned. And uh, so when you're not called to the ministry and God has not called you, you need a Bible school. You need to have your notes of lessons. Uh, you need to prepare your sermon before. And you need to come on in and repeat whatever your sermon was. You stick to the notes. Well, the early church had the Holy Ghost. And... We really do not have the Holy Ghost to the extent that I read in the book of Acts. There's a lot of things that they were exposed to that we don't have. We do not have a single message or a single sermon that Paul preached when he was building the churches. When Paul started the church at Corinth, we don't have a single sermon he preached. When Paul started, took over the church at Ephesus from Apollos, 
We do not have a single sermon he preached, even though he stayed there for three years. When he went to the churches of Galatia, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Antioch, these churches that this apostle started and laid a foundation, we do not have a single sermon that he preached. Well, what do we have, Brother Singh? We have his corrective letters and letters of exhortation. When he wrote to the church of the churches of Galatia, he was writing because the churches were swayed and taken off the foundation he planted them on, and they were going contrary to what Paul had taught. When he wrote to the church of Corinth, wrote to the Corinthians. Paul was writing to salvage a church that thought he was now an idiot. The man that started the church, to them now, he was an idiot. His letters, they say, were weighty, but his bodily presence weak, and his speech contemptible. Sad, isn't it? Isn't it sad that I leave here and I make a missionary trip into... Um, Africa or somewhere and spend two years and when I come back this church is all reorganized you have party on Friday night uh, you have dinner every breakfast every Sunday morning uh, church is packed up with hypocrites and when I come I don't really do what you do when you start to rhythm, that drum, one set is not good enough, you need two. And you need tamarinds. I was looking at a video clip the other day about a church uh, with a woman dancing, tamarind they're beating, and she's dancing, and as far as I was concerned, she was possessed. And if the church leaves the foundation that I planted it on, and it's gone crazy... And people are taught that that's how God is. Then when I come back, I'd look like an old idiot. That's what happened to Paul's churches. Every single church the man started eventually fizzled out and went into apostasy. And we are infallible here in Mississauga. We would not go contrary because we are in are we infallible no we're not as a matter of fact we are more fallible than we are close to being infallible but as long as God has placed me here and I feel that he did I am not an angel dropped out of heaven but I am a messenger an angel a messenger translated messenger and I'll do the best that I can I will do my best and leave to God the rest. There are things that I might not know. There are things that I might never even teach in this church. But whatever he places in my heart, I'll try my best to cover those areas. And so when I'm looking at this New Testament church that started on the day of Pentecost, we have said this so many times, the New Testament church was not the result of the New Testament. 
but the New Testament was a result that came out of the New Testament church. In other words, they, did, they, they built the New Testament church without the New Testament even written. They did not have the Gospels until, you know, 30, 40 years after Jesus was gone. And so, what could they do in that period of time? I tell you what they did. They depended on God. And when God came on in and touched the minds of those early church fathers, now when I say early church fathers, I'm not talking about history, historic church fathers. I'm talking of the ones that I read about in this Bible. When Paul was gone and Peter was gone, James was gone and Bartholomew and some of these other men were gone out of the scene. While men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And uh, the church got affected. But um, what has happened since then is that when you don't have the power of God, you'll have to fabricate it. See, on the day of Pentecost, something supernatural happened. The power of God came down, and men who never knew certain languages spoke those languages, and it was a witness to the people that were there. And I've said this over and over again, when the power of God come in, I wouldn't be just speaking in unknown tongues. Any idiot with a bottle of booze in his hand could do that outside. As a matter of fact, Brother Terry, we came out of a background of the Kali religion. And they do that. They speak in tongues, all kinds of stuff. And so when you're coming out from a demonic background that you see this thing operate among the, uh, in the midst of the religion you're coming out from, when you see that operating in the church, even though they're calling on Jesus, you can feel that same spirit. And there's a lot of sinister evil that exists in the church. And what we have done over the years, we have perfected our bands so we can stimulate the flesh. We have adopted to the kind of preaching that gets excited and stir the people up like you're a Greek orator or somebody. And we have pushed on emotionalism. Oh, we are humans. We are emotional. But when you trigger a lot of the flesh and emotionalism in a church, you might misunderstand emotionalism and think it's God. But when God is there, the supernatural happens. With the power of God comes down today, and I start to speak in pure Russian. Brother Gregory, would you forget that for the rest of your life? No, he would not, because that is supernatural. But if I say, Simataya, 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 does that make sense? You think I'm an idiot, and you have all reason to believe that. And so over the years, Pentecostalism has gone into emotional frenzies. And that is why present truth, like Brother Vid said, is necessary. The reason why God never allowed any message or sermon from Paul for Paul to remain, because Paul's messages were for the period of time that he existed. Paul's message 
for the churches that he started was present truth for that time. But Paul's teachings become a foundation for us today. We're not against what Paul says. We're standing upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. But evil that exists today must be understood today. And God must give us wisdom to counteract the evil today in the lives of God's people. That is why we call it present truth. We have said before, <clears throat> today's wars can't be fought with yesterday's weapons. If we bring yesterday's weapons to fight today's wars, spiritually speaking, we're defeating ourselves. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the internet. Oh, moral sin was always there. But 2,000 years ago, as a matter of fact, not even 2,000 years ago, when I was coming up as a young man, growing up as a young man, in my school days, we didn't even have a radio properly to walk around with. You wanted a telephone, you've got to go to some booth somewhere and pay to use their telephone. We did not have telephones in the homes when I was growing up. We did not have a lot of things. When they brought in cassettes, it was an amazing thing. Of course, the recorder was big, right? An advancement in technology has tripled and, you know, it's gone over so many percentages that today we live in a society and I wonder what's next. There was a time when you saw the devil and you saw an idol when it's coming through the door. Now idolatry is very spiritual and you accommodate it while you're sitting in your living room. You don't have to go to the arena to see gladiators fight. You can sit down in your living room, popcorn in hand, and enjoy the most gruesome battles or the dirtiest pornography in your living room. And so in a day like today, don't tell me I can preach a 2,000 years ago message and save the people today. I need to understand evil today and we need to face the facts. And we, like Brother Vid quoted a scripture from Ephesians. We need more than a form of godliness. See, what we have done over the years is have a routine. Everybody say routine. We come on in. We have a little prayer to start. <clears throat> the band plays the introduction. And we all carry out the routine. You came in a hypocrite. And you leave an educated hypocrite. Now, we need churches that will change our lives. And I told Chandri... Uh, I think I said this on Wednesday night that we need to stop just running after the cure and first of all find out the cause. See, if I have a headache, I don't just go take a Tylenol. 
there's a reason why the headache is there and the Tylenol is going to be a band-aid when there are problems in a Christian's life I've got to figure out why because I serve a great God and I believe in miracles Years ago, Chandra wrote me something when I was a young man. Not We did not even know each other, but she knew I was having problems. And you remember that quotation that I often treasure for the rest of my life. She said, it takes stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. And from that day that I saw that statement, I'm challenged when I see storms that I encounter in my life. When it's not smooth sailing, but storms are all around me, I take the challenge. I don't run from the storm. I cross them. I try not to run from the mountain that's ahead of me or try to move the mountain. I climb it. And the negatives that God has brought in my life are necessary to make me stronger. The winds do not turn my ship around I adjust my sails accordingly and ride the storm and that is what we have to learn when we come into a church Paul made a statement here in 2nd Timothy and I'll talk to you for a little bit here and then we can go home in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and we've been looking at scriptures in Timothy so often so recent and more than ever when I'm reading today the Bible I appreciate everything written here but I must read it defensively I must understand that Paul is not writing this to me he's writing it to Timothy and there's some things that he would write to Timothy that would not be applicable for me I think it's in 1 Timothy that Paul made a statement to Timothy. And he said, someone find that for me. He says, drink no longer water. Chapter 5, verse 23. He says in verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man. In other words, don't grab a man and give him a position. Let him prove himself. I wish that I could on elder all of us elders. I wish I could just, there's, there's no word like on elders, so don't even try to find it. I wish I could on elder all the elders and let us grow into becoming elders. Because when somebody says, I'm an elder, doesn't mean anything in God's sight. If you're not called to fulfill that office. You say well I'm an apostle. Doesn't mean anything in God's sight. If he has not ordained you as an apostle. And it is important to understand these things. And so Paul said to Timothy. He says lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. Drink no longer water. <clears throat> well here you see. I got this little bottle of water, <clears throat> and after preaching for over 50 years, 
I need water. I just violated the scripture. While Ben was debating on what is called the word of God and what is the foundation, but I'd like to deal with that a little bit in saying this here is scripture. This by itself will kill you. It's called a letter. This by itself, a carnal mind trying to study this would not understand it. Because this is written in codes. Some things are meant to be there and some things are not meant to be there. Some things are translated inaccurately and some things are translated correctly. Some things the translators inserted and some things they did not. They could not even title the books right. The revelation of Saint John the Divine. That's not right. The very first verse tells you the revelation of Jesus Christ. If they could not title the book, what else did they do to, did to the book? And that is why I need the one that inspired men to write. That he can inspire me to decipher what's right and what's wrong and present to the people out of the same book the word of God because the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword when I take scripture under the inspiration of God and present it to deal with our lives and to change us and to nurture us and to fortify our faith it becomes the word of God if I'm just reading this all day and that is why it's good to read the Bible it's good to understand these things but you need to be in a service. When the presence of God is in that service, then the message is being delivered in that service to be present there, to let your spirit reach out in that service to receive what is being said. A tape recorder will not do that. So Paul said, drink no longer water. He says, but use a little wine for your stomach. Where do you have the bottle? We have a bottle. We should always keep some. Is that what I should do? Start get becoming an alcoholic? Because it's good for me and stop drinking water? No, Paul said that to Timothy. Because Timothy in those days, Timothy seemingly had a problem in his stomach and he was overusing water. You know, Eight glasses, they say, per day will extend your life. Now, you can drink a gallon, six, 16 glasses per day, and it might kill you. Abuse in anything is not good. And what was written to Timothy might not be applicable to my day. Paul made another statement. He says, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And for thine often infirmities, which means he had a problem medically, and they did not have Mylanta, they did not have Diabol, they did not have Peptobismol, they had wine and water. So in that time, whatever was needed, he become a drunkard. He says, drink no lot longer water. 
and we are just reading a translation. You might have said, don't drink so much water, but use a little wine for that problem that you have. It's going to help your stomach. You know, I read it. My doctor told me a little red wine is good for you every day. It'd make you live long. I'm 70. Don't use red wine. I don't use white wine. I don't use red wine. And I don't even use non-alcoholic wine. I just love pear drugs. Occasionally I'll drink some Pepsi. Violate the principle a little. I can drink some juice. We have so much today. <clears throat> Different age altogether. And so when I'm thinking of Paul's writing to Timothy, it's important for us to understand these things. And here in 2 Timothy, Paul made a statement like this. He made a lot of statements to Timothy. But here in chapter uh, 2 of 2 Timothy, he says, he says, um, <clears throat> shun profane, verse 16. He says, shun profane and vain babblings. Uh, profane and vain babblings in verse 16 is referring to preachers that are not preaching according to the principles of God. So as I'm standing here today, if I'm a vain babbler, you're lost. But if it is right, and how it was said is, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive the prophet's reward. In other words, if you think I'm a prophet, then what I say to you would be treated like the words of a prophet. If you think I'm a scallywag, then the things I say to you would be treated like as, as if I'm a scallywag. So Brother Singh, what do you think of us? You would not want to know. Because I preach things and encourage people to make decisions and they've gone contrary to it but Brother Vid was asking he says well when Paul <clears throat> he was we were discussing this when Paul went up to Rome who was the one was my question that God benefited from Paul's visit to Rome when he went as a prisoner to Rome Paul was and I'm standing here preaching to this church, and if I don't see the kind of results I would like to see, am I disappointed? No. If you catch me during the day, I'll have this phone in my pocket listening to my own message. Because it edifies me. And a lot of times I would say, How, did I say that? And over these years that I listened to my own messages, I have not ever reach back and says I said the wrong thing not once it can happen but not once and that's good for me because when it's all over I'm edified now you might sit there and think I'm an idiot knock yourself out you might think there and say I oh he's not he needs to get some additional education to preach the gospel well please yourself I will preach what I feel God wants me to preach. And so when Paul is writing here to Timothy, he says here in chapter um, uh, chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, 
shun profane, 16, shun profane and vain babblings, for there will increase unto more ungodliness. When a preacher gets up that's not called of God, he will develop an ungodliness in the church. Now, what is ungodly? If it's either godly or ungodly. See, ungodly does not mean you're a bad guy walking and robbing people. Ungodly means that which is not according to God's desire. You might be singing a song, ungodly. You might be preaching a message, ungodly. You might be running a movement, ungodly. You might be having a mission, ungodly. Jesus told the Pharisees, as you, ca you travel, you compass land and sea to make a convert, a proselyte, and when he's made, he is like yourself, a twofold child of hell. Evangelism that's not approved of God is ungodly. You know, in the fifth chapter of John, Jesus, that entire chapter shows you that Jesus did not reach out to anyone that his father did not approve. But today, we think that converting the world is what we should do. Guess what? The most important thing that you need to do is convert yourself. Paul made a statement to Timothy, and we're using Timothy today just sparingly because I'm not going to be... Um, extremely over the time here uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1st Timothy chapter 4 he says in verse 6 he tells him a few things and then he said in verse 6 if you put the brethren remembrance of these things thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ nurtured up in the words of the faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained we had a beautiful Wednesday night service where I showed that Titus was given strong words. He was an elder that Paul ordained. And he was told to go and ordain other elders in Crete. But you know, when Paul was about to die, he was left alone in prison and he was listing, putting a list of all the people that forsook him, Titus was among that group of individuals. And here in chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Well, what should Timothy read? Well, there are books on philosophy that you can read. We had a book one time we passed out in this church to the men, for the men to read, that was called Man of Steel and Velvet, which shows you how to be a man of steel, but your hand is in a velvet gloves. When people touch you, they don't feel cold steel. They feel the warmth of your humanity and your kindness and your simplicity. Amazing book. Paul didn't write it. Peter didn't write it, but it was a good book. We had a book, an etiquette, that we passed out one time that tells you how to be mannered, how to have proper manners. You know, if you want to be a king and a princess and a ruler with Christ, 
You gotta learn how to govern your own affairs. Don't live in a fantasy world. Leave that to the sci-fi writers and producers. They go a good job in beaming Scotty up. You're a child of God, be real. Live on this planet and be real, be genuine. Examine yourself on a daily basis to see your progress. So Paul told Timothy, he says, give, give yourself to reading. You know, the, a lot of third world generation individuals don't like to read. Reading is good if you read the right books. I wrote an article one time called Defensive Reading. It's one thing to have defensive driving, but it's another thing to be a defensive reader. A man might spend his entire life to write a book doing research, and you can read it in a week. That's why I like Derek at the back. You see him sitting there. He reads all the time. And, and that's amazing. It's because you gather information. But Paul tells this young man, if you're going to be a preacher, give yourself over to reading and to exhortation. Get up and be able to exhort people. Not on a long, prolonged talk that has no benefit to the soul. I like what Brother Vid did here today. He got up and tapped into the Wednesday night message because we are working on a service after service schedule here. Don't ignore what was said in the last service and jump the guns. Connect. And if you can't connect, be quiet. Build on the foundation that was laid. Because we're working together on this. He says exhortation and to doctrine. Know the doctrine. It would be sad if all of us elders that are up here. Have a variety of doctrines that we disagree on. And if you're disagreeing ask yourself are you blind? Or are you exalted? Or are you conceited? Are you just got your own agenda? If we're to build a church, we need to build it together. But if it quoted the scripture in Romans 12, I will therefore that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He didn't say anything else. He just said that. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So there must be, doctrine must be understood correctly. Because to shun profane and vain babblings is doctrines that are misconceptions of what God wants being preached, and you follow that. And he goes on further here, everybody, he says... <clears throat> Verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them that thy profitings may appear to all. And everybody, verse 16, together now. He says, take heed. Who is talking to? Timothy. 
Well, let this go to every one of us that want to be an elder. Take heed, first of all, to yourself. If you can't bring yourself under discipline, and you don't have an understanding and a calling on your, on your life, and a holiness and commitment on your life, you can't help other people. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy. If you're to save individuals, take heed unto yourself. What you read. How you exhort. What you tell people. How you do not undermine the faith of individuals. If you got only negative things to say, be quiet. The church is a spiritual hospital. It is not a perfect place. <clears throat> you're here because you're needing help. Maybe emotionally. Maybe you're a gossiper. Maybe you're a fornicator. Maybe you're a liar. Maybe you're a thief. It's like the ark that the Bible tells us about that Noah had and the animals of all kinds came on in clean and unclean. Well, I'm a clean person. I don't want that ark. Then you'll die in the flood. The church is a spiritual ark not meant to imprison you but meant to give you that opportunity that your life could be turned around and changed and you can become one that is worth the while standing before God before it's all over. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. Don't be so busy looking at the other patient and pointing your finger at their maladies and their, their diseases. Try to think about why you're there and how much disease you have and how much help you need before you can start pointing your finger at everyone around you. That's why we have the church. I don't expect you to be perfect, but I'm expecting you to work on that. And so if elders are to be in the ministry, we must first of all take heed unto ourselves. And this goes also to the church. Take heed unto yourself. He says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in the teachings of the church. For in doing this, thou shalt both, first of all, save yourself. Everybody says, save myself. That's where the job starts. Well, I'm too busy with you, Sister Dorothy. You got so much flaws. No, save myself before I try to save you. That is why we need to understand where we are and understand what God is doing. He says, and in doing this, you'll save yourself and eventually them that hear you. In 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2 and verse 20, Paul says, uh, he says here in verse 20, but in a great house, he used a, an, a nice description here to describe the church. He says, in a great house. The church is a great house. No matter how great the house is, he says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold or, and of silver. He says, but in that great, great house... 
they're also vessels of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor so when you come into this great house there are all kinds of vessels well a gold vessel <laughs> good for you are you a clean gold vessel or a filthy gold vessel see if I have two vessels before me and one is made of clay but I look at it and it's clean and sparkling and this one that is made of pure gold is mushy and mucky inside I'll take the one that's clean and sparkling because no matter what the vessel end is it could be appreciated or not appreciated and so Paul writes he says some to honor and some to dishonor he says if a man or woman that is if a man therefore purge himself from these that is the dishonorable vessel he shall be a vessel unto honor now you see everybody listen to me here stop reading for a moment it is our responsibility to work on our personal spiritual growth and we're not here only to holler God 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 and feel we had a great service we're here to learn how to change and simple things in life you need to keep your place tidy your briefcase should not look like a slop bucket you're a child of God all the traces of imperfections must be removed out of your life a mint does not do what a toothbrush and toothpaste accomplishes and as it is necessary for physical preciseness and excellence in our lives so is spiritual preciseness and excellence in our lives and today as I'm talking to you let each one of us examine ourselves whether you think you're a gold vessel or you're a wooden vessel or you're an earthen vessel think about it are you an honorable vessel in the sight of God and if you're not you can purge yourself you can get on your knees and say God I'm a I know I'm special I know you've called me but please oh God cleanse me please wash me help me to be a part of this this great house that will bring be a blessing in this great house and bring the glory to the to the church rather than bring a reproach to it see when you listen to me here today and you walk out into that world you see someone said and <clears throat> very correctly it's not how high you jump in church that you know God has touched you <laughs> man these days people do all kinds of stuff in church he says it's not how high you jump that you know God has touched you but it's how you straight how straight you walk when you leave the church it's your life in private it's your closet in private it's your conversation in private it's what your mind feed on in private purge yourself from everything that will make your vessel that's dishonorable and Paul went on here he says if a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel 
unto honor, sanctified, separated. You see, when you purge yourself, God will separate you, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You'll not be idle. You'll be there to do the work of God, work with the church. It was so good. We had a lot of snow out here, and it was so good to have some helpful hands. Go out and work. And, you know, I like to do the work of God. I was telling Brother Terry that there were days when nobody was here. Brother Joe did not live in the basement. Nobody lived here. I was around. And if it snowed in the morning, I would get on the phone and call all the brothers. No, sir, that's not my cup of tea. I don't do that kind of stuff. Snow's here. Maybe it didn't snow in your neighborhood, but if it snows here, I love the church more than I love my house. So I made sure I come here and I sh clean the snow. Common sense is not something you buy in the drugstore. It is something that God has given to us that many of us have it unused. May God help us. May God help us to purge our vessels that we become vessels that God can use. Purge yourself from a prayerlessness. Purge yourself from gossip. Purge yourself from pornography. Purge yourself from violent movies and things that are not beneficial for your spiritual development. Purge yourself. And may God help us. Uh, he said here in verse 22, Flee youthful lust and follow righteousness, faith and charity, peace. Uh, he says, And with all that call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. I've had people come and ask me a question that says, I prefer not to answer that question. That's a foolish question. How many toes God has? When you find out, tell me. <laughs> he says, foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they don't help people, but agenda strifes and strifes and argument. He says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Everybody said gentle unto all men. You need the man out in the street? Yes. I like to be gentle to all men. When men revile you, don't revile again. Be gentle. There is a time to be firm. But you can rebuke with all long-suffering and patience and gentleness. May God help us, right? He says in meekness, and here is a part we want to close off with. He says in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. I wonder if there are people that oppose themselves. Isn't that a funny, strange statement? Well, a man that's blind always opposes himself. There's a beautiful sun. What sun? Didn't you see how wonderful the birds are? What birds? I remember one fall, we traveled with a group of saints to the meeting. And it was the fall, the most beautiful, spectacular fall colors. And when I reached there, turn around, I said, did you all enjoy the drive and the colors? And one person says, what colors? I slept. 
And I said, what a sad world. That is why I feel if you, can, if you sleep past the sunrise, you need to be taken out and shot. Don't do that literally, but um, <laughs> it is a terminology. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this service. Help us in this great house to recognize your workings in our lives, Father. Help us to be able to come to the place of understanding that we can purge ourselves. That we don't have to be beggars, but we can be changed and become more like your son, Father. Help us, O oh God, to be patient with each other, to show the love of God to each other, to understand the problems that each other encounter, and to pray one for another, and to love one another with the kind of love that your word demands, Father. Oh God, please help us, we pray. Please touch your minds and our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name we ask it. Amen and amen.